By tomorrow night, they will look like this. Oh, God. I'll authorize an immediate airdrop, Doctor. So if you're saying, are we out of the pandemic phase in this country? We are. What we hope to do, I don't believe, and I've, and I've spoken about this widely, we're not going to eradicate this virus. If we can keep that level very low and intermittently vaccinate people, and I don't know how often that would have to be, Judy, that might be every year, that might be longer, in order to keep that level low. But right now, we are not in the pandemic phase in this country. In the wee hours of May 2nd, 2022, live from FEMA Region 2, back at it one more again for the most dangerous two hours in radio on the wake up with your host this evening, your brother Cam Kazi the Cutlass. Shout out to my brother John, my co-host Brother John, the Masonic Marine from the Truth Booth Podcast. Shout out to Super Producer Cindy Ashby for bringing this all together. Shout out to the whole On The Wake Up Radio family. And shout out to you, the listener, the On The Wake Up Radio Army. You can check us out at onthewakeupradio.com where you can listen to the crisp, clear, uninterrupted transmission. You can also check out the archives at otwtube.com and SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. If you listen in on any of those outlets, definitely please go in and um, hit that like button and share this content. Share this content with somebody who you feel is on the wake up and ready to hear it. And even if they're not Really ready to hit it, hear it, still share the content because you know it's that time right now, ladies and gentlemen. Like I was saying, the the censorship has been crazy, it's been crazy. If y'all tuned in last week or or just tuned in to last week's show, then you got a taste of the level of censorship that we're facing right now. It's insane, and you know, like we always say, the more they push us the more we push back the harder we push back so you know that's why we created otwtube.com otwtube.com that is a social social media platform for us by us for people like us by people like us you know fuck all this you know instagram's cool and all that stuff but in the end of the day you know they're going to censor people. That's what they do. They're, they're engaging in the, in the uh, act of censorship right now. So it's important that we are able to have these types of conversations uninterrupted right now. This is like the last stretch type of shit right here. <laughs> the, the name of tonight's program is The Plight of the Tyrant Part 2. And... You just, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we have different series going on here. One of them is Rise of the Gestapo. Definitely check out Rise of the Gestapo. I think we have three or four of them right now. 
And it just kind of just goes deeper and deeper into what we're experiencing. A lot of times we just name shit, you know, we just give stuff names too sometimes because <laughs> why not? You know, it's not that the names aren't meaningful, but we talk about so much in any one show at any time that a name is just a just a designation so that you can go back and you can, you know, listen to the archives um, so yeah, go check out some of those series that we did, you know, Rise of the Gestapo, the, uh, Plight of the Tyrant Part 2, the, um, what was another one? False Positive Politics, that's another one. But tonight, and I don't know how long I'm gonna be on, this might be a short show. Every time I say that, shit, <laughs> shit drags on, but tonight might actually be a short show, so we'll see. But I've been thinking a lot about these people and and what they're doing. And right now, what we're facing in this country and in the world. So let me just start it off like this, right? Okay, first off, folks, you already know. Hold on. I, I might as well just put it down. What's up, brother man? How you doing, Big Mike? I'm just going to put it down right now, right? Put down the website so y'all can go check it out because tonight it's going to get hot. You already know it's going to get hot because we are on the wakeupradio.com. Check us out at on the wakeupradio.com. That is our social media platform. Okay? That no, excuse me, that is our streaming network on the wakeupradio.com. <clears throat> Because, you know, once I start talking that shit, it might start glitching. Last week, this this Instagram live lasted all of seven and a half minutes before they just shut my shit down. Okay? So, go to OnTheWakeUpRadio.com for the uninterrupted conversation. We already burnt out another, another streaming platform. Peace, homie. Peace, little homie. How you doing? Yeah, we already burnt out another streaming platform. And so... Won't be using that for a while, but we still have our personal streaming platform, our personal radio network. That's on the wakeupradio.com. Go check that out because we're just going to go in tonight. Not going to delay. It's already 1.20 a.m. as it is. Give you all a moment to go on there before I start talking my shit. Because once I start talking my shit, we don't know what's going to happen to the IG live. Take a sip of my drink. Hope you're almost there now. Without further delay. What's up with your boy Anthony Fauci? I saw a video of this motherfucker from the other day. And Anthony Fauci said that we are no longer in the pandemic phase in this country. Anthony Fauci went on TV and essentially said... That we are no longer in the pandemic. Did y'all get that memo? Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear me say it just now? Because that's what I said. Fauci went on TV and said that we are no longer in the pandemic phase. Now, I've been saying it at least since last year, maybe since 2020, but definitely since 2021. I said that one of these so-called trustworthy motherfuckers could come on TV and tell us that 
the pandemic is over and people would still be doing pandemic shit. People would still be masking. People would still be social distancing. All the measures that they put in place would remain. You know? Um... <laughs> thank you. Thank you, homeboy. Um... So, all these measures are still in place, but, but Fauci came on TV and said that the pandemic is over. Yeah, it's a huge experiment. That's all we're looking at right now. That's the bottom line. It's a, it's a huge social experiment. And... And I just knew that I knew it would go like this because I had a feeling I didn't think anyone would actually come on TV and say that the pandemic is over. But I said, if someone were to come on TV like Fauci and say that it was over, that people would still follow along with the pandemic measures. Okay, And that's where we're at right now. So this is another phase of the experiment. And, you know, we always pay attention to the different distractions going on. And I don't know. I don't know. Like, why would he come out and say that in the first place? You know what I think? Um, I mean, see, this is the thing. This is the thing with the whole pandemic. One, it's a pandemic. So February 2022 the Nuremberg 2.0 started. They're calling that the court of public opinion. It's what I've been calling for years before they even had it, the court of public, excuse me, the court of the people. Nuremberg 2.0, it's the, the, the court of public opinion. It is uh, modeled or fashioned out of the grant after the U.S. grand jury style. And this, they made it open to the public so that people can see all the evidence for themselves. And then there's going to be at some point a determination on what should happen to the main co-conspirators. And yes, it's a pandemic for sure. It's a pandemic. That's one of the things that the uh, Nuremberg 2.0 has established, that it's a pandemic. And it, it's a pandemic for a lot of reasons. So... Okay, this is the thing. Again, this is Plight of, the, Plight of the Tyrant Part 2, okay? So, one of the main things... the hell is that? One of the main things that has been popping out to me in the last couple of weeks is the financial part. This is something that people need to pay attention to. This is why people need to tune in to the court of public opinion, Nuremberg 2.0, because they explain it a lot better than I'll ever be able to explain it. I'm not an economist, but there are several people who are economists who can explain it extremely well. And I'm just seeing if I could pull something up for my people Real quick. So, let me see. In um, 
It's day five. I can't see at what time. I'm trying to see if I can find the number. Oh, yeah. Le- oh, Leslie Manukin. Leslie Manukin testified at the Court of Public Opinion on day five. If you can find her testimony. Leslie Manukin. M-A-N-O-O-K-I-A-N. And the information that she dropped is damning. Now, what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, take out your pens, papers, notebooks, textbook, edit, all that stuff. Because we're going to go in tonight. Um, oh, Dale G. Jr. said, dude, did you see the did you see the credit card debt on the U.S. debt clock website? No, I did not. But going to pull it up and we can talk about that later because I'm sure there's some shit there. U.S. debt clock. Nah, but you know, we, we've talked about the debt clock on here and it it's crazy. Like it looks crazy. It reads crazy. And no, nah, I haven't seen the credit card debt, but I'll take a look at that in a little bit. Right. But Leslie Manukin now, right? So she's been talking about the financial sector. I can't remember all her credentials now, but she's solid. You know, she worked in the financial industry and she knows what she's talking about. And what she explains is that she 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 describes the pension crisis that we're in right now. The the EU is in a pension crisis. The U.S. is in a pension crisis to the point where they're going to have hundreds of millions of people who essentially the the government is going to default on the pensions of these people at some point. Um, and. This is basically happening right now, and 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 they're propping propping things up. Remember when the financial crisis happened? They talk about oh, when they did the bailouts, the corporate bailouts, and then you heard the language of kicking the can down the street, right? Oh, you can't you you can only kick the can so far down the street, right? So that's basically what Leslie Manukin is, is describing where the financial crisis, it's something that's been looming for a long time. And the powers that be realized that that at some point it's going to collapse. And they'd rather have a controlled collapse. Okay? Hmm. Huh. Huh. I'm gonna get to that. I see. I need to take notes of the stuff that y'all are putting in this in this chat because um, I've been hearing about that too. So, so Leslie Manukin talks about this financial crisis, right? Catherine Austin Fitz. She was another one. She was um. Was it like assistant secretary of HUD under George Bush Sr., I believe? You know, I guess when she found out how corrupt the government was, then they kicked down her door, essentially. You know how they do, right? You work for the government, you find out that they're dirty, and you get your door kicked in because that's how this country operates. 
Yeah, we're going in today, folks. So we're this is just the financial part, right? Plight of the Tyrant Part 2. So Catherine Austin fits, but she's a journalist, investigator, and she describing the same thing, the, the pension crisis and how the pension crisis, it seems, might be the, the initial justification for the pandemic. Because now you have governments who are looking at their people. I think it was Catherine Austin Fitz. If you, um, what's the, oh man, I was just watching it today too. I was just listening to it again today. Um, something about the pandemic. I can't remember the name now. It'll come back to me. But she was describing how there were times where basically the government wants to come clean about the secrets and peace Dre, I see government wants to come clean about the secrets, but they realize they can't do that because they can't implicate themselves. You know, that's like how whenever the CIA or the FBI does something that's dirty and illegal they say, oh, we'll just investigate ourselves. And they say, oh, we did the investigation and we came up clean. This is like. <laughs> it's a big joke. It's a big joke, folks. It's hilarious and it's not hilarious. It's funny to me because you know, I have a dark sense of humor, but it's not really funny at all. But I laugh at it, you know. The, the government investigating themselves. So it's that type of thing where the the level of corruption, because if they expose the corruption, then they expose how corrupt all of them are, whether it's Congress, whether it's um, judges, you know, people in the executive branch, because because then you have to go into, you know, the corporate world and all that. Like we're, we're so this country is supposed to be a, um, a democratic republic, right? A republic based off of democratic values. And the problem is that's not exactly how it functions. Like in the real world, that's not how it functions. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me just back off from there because we're going to get there. Oh, yeah. Chef, your boy, he said they sold their souls to Satan for the almighty dollar. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go along with that. Peace, peace. I see you, King. Peace. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to get we're going to get to how this country actually runs. But I just want to stay on this financial piece. Right. Because so the names that you should look at, like I said, Leslie Manukin, M-A-N-O-O-K-I-A-N. Catherine Austin Fitz. Her last name is spelled F-I-T-T-S. See what she said. Planet Lockdown. That's the name of it. Planet Lockdown. Pens, papers, notebooks, text edit, Microsoft Word processor, whatever you got to do to take notes. Take notes. You can look this stuff up as I'm talking to you and, you know, do some digging for yourself as we're having this conversation. Planet Lockdown, excellent series. Planet Lockdown, it has about five parts. It might have more now, 
but Planet Lockdown, Catherine Austin Fitz. It's got another lady from the World Health Organization, another dude from the World Health Organization. It's basically a bunch of whistleblowers. It's got Michael Yeadon. Uh, he's a former he's a former biotech executive and former uh, Pfizer executive. Okay, um, yo, <laughs> financial, financial. This shit started financial. Okay, so Catherine Austin Fitz, Leslie Manukin, right? Those are those are the first two people to check out because they talk about it. The next one is um. Blackwater, Blackrock, Blackrock whistleblower named Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D. Okay, check out what Edward Dowd is saying because he's been public for a little while now. Edward Dowd has been saying the same exact thing. So he is, um, I think he was like a hedge fund manager. He's been in Wall Street for years and sees what's going on. And he's, again, giving us kind of an inside view of how the financial world is looking at what's going on right now so right blackrock is scumbags you know because blackrock i mean that's one of those corporations they're just basically purchasing the world like there's a lot of resources that are renewable and that you know like even oil is somewhat of a renewable resource because the earth produces it they're just draining the the world of it but one resource that is not renewable is real estate once the land is bought up that you can't make more land you know the earth makes more land but trust me someone's gonna buy it you know that volcanic land that gets appears in the middle of the oceans and all that shit yeah so Corporations like BlackRock, they're they're trying to uh, purchase basically everything in this world, in this country, and in Vanguard too. Um, yep, by Bill Gates is buying up. He is Bill Gates. I think right now is the largest uh, farmland, lar- largest owner of farmland in this country. He owns more farmland than anyone else. Okay, so and that's disturbing. Because Bill Gates, like that, that's not the dude you want owning any type of farmland, okay? Is he going to be farming on that land? What kind of GMO bullshit is he going to be injecting into the food, you know? But again, let me not stray from this financial thing. So, Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D, that's the, that's the next dude that you want to look up. Because Edward Dowd, again, he's talking about the financial piece. And, um, and you know, like so many other people, he came to the conclusion that I think he talks about the, the, uh, the pension crisis and how basically because of this pension crisis, the pandemic makes sense. They needed a distraction from robbing the people of their wealth and robbing future generations okay so that's you know those are people that y'all can look into to give a little better insight into what we're experiencing right now so again let's say you're the the powers that be and you're looking and you say do we come clean or do we kill a lot of people? 
Do we come clean? Do we possibly risk being dragged through the streets and executed? Because this is the thing. And I know people uh, like to shy away from these topics. But one, these people are out here trying to uh, final solution uh, a majority of the human race because they see us as useless eaters. Right? But if people knew what they did, they would be dragged through the streets. Personally, I'd like to see them brought to trial because there's, there's, you know, it's like, let's just say the people who are doing this, let's just say they were dragged through the streets and executed. Do you know how many kidnapped and lost people are just trapped in deep underground bases? You know, like, no, I want these motherfuckers coming to trial. I want these motherfuckers fearing for their lives telling on each other and letting us know, you know, freeing all the people before they meet their execution, okay? I want to know where the bio labs are that they have hidden underground, that they have little surprises that are going to pop up on our asses in 150 years, you know what I mean? That that's the type of thing. I want to know where the under where the underground bases, where the suppressed technology are. I don't want these people dying with all those secrets. You know what I mean? Because I think that would be detrimental to our existence and our survival. And I think it would be, you know, for them more torture for them to live. And see their plans fall through. That's just my opinion. You know. Because we need to. As a people. As a civilization. We need to be less reactive. More proactive. And more intentional. With. How we deal with these people. You remember Versailles. Right. What happened in France. With the French Revolution. They were just going through. Just chopping motherfuckers up. Whatever they were doing. Bringing them to the guillotines. And I think. I think they were pretty. It, it, they had the right intentions. When they did that. And they probably went around about it the right way. Because. They, they saw the problem. And they dealt with it the way that was appropriate. For those times. The way that we deal with things now has to be appropriate for the times in which we live, okay? These people, you remember the terminology too big to fail that came out with the financial crisis where these banks, they're so entrenched in our economy and the way we do business and, and that if one of them were to fail, then it would be allegedly devastating for all of us. I don't know how true that is. But it might be. Catherine Austin Fitz in, in Planet Lockdown, she said that what they're seeking to do right now is not that it's not just that they want to create a new currency, but they want to create a new transaction system. That's something to write down. That's something that kind of stuck out to me. They want to create a new transaction system. Okay. Another thing that she said was that the way we get paid based off of work and skills, they want to pay us based off of social credit. Okay? Leslie Manukin. Actually, I think all three of these people I mentioned in the financial, at least Catherine Austin Fitz and Leslie Manukin, 
mentioned how they want to have us on a universal basic income, okay? Where people just get paid just for existing. You know why? Because, again, it'd be a lot more difficult to just kill those people. Okay? Big Mike asked, whatever happened to the Amero? I don't know. I don't know. Well, we don't have the Amero, but we basically have the American Union. Um... It's not called the American Union, though. And y'all boy uh, Donald Trump uh, signed that in. I need to go and find what it's called. (laughs) Drea said the Black Mirror episode. Let me see if... What's up with the American Union? I'll come back to that, too. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> hey, Lord, I love y'all. I love y'all comments, I swear. <laughs> Jeff, your boy, he said, what skills they have? Sucking dick and going nuts at parties at our expense? That's right. Sniffing cocaine off of nut sacks and shit. Like, this is what they're into. Um... This right here, so they they want to create, according to Catherine Austin Fitz, a new transaction system. You know, the technocrats. We we had a whole episode talking about technocrats. So let's not, you know, great book. Technocracy. The Hard Road to World Order. Patrick M. Wood? Patrick M. Wood. Patrick M. Wood actually testified at the Nuremberg 2.0. Check him out. Write it down. Take a picture. Take a screenshot. Whatever you got to do. Patrick M. Wood. This book is extremely comprehensive when it comes to, to understanding what technocracy is about. And uh, I mean, see, this is what I love. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna open up a page. Oh, so PPP, right? You know, people got these PPP loans. People got these PPP pandemic loans. People got fucking million dollar PPP loans. And now your boy Biden got a task force to hunt them down. <laughs> you know what the PPP? Um, Public-private partnership. That's what it stands for. Or is it private-public partnership? One of the two. Doesn't even matter. That's what it is, yo. Public-private partnerships. And that's basically... Let me see if I can find it because our friend Mr. Wood talks about it in this book. And he explains how the PPP is a way for the technocrats to gain a little more power. 
seeing because and it's so funny because as much as I've been hearing about, you know, we've been hearing about the PPP, I didn't really ask what it stands for. But then reading this book, which was written in 2018, was published in 2018. He talks about the PPPs. <laughs> Ooh. Let's see. Let's see. Um, okay, bet. <clears throat> so oh yeah, this is damning information. This shit right here. Cause this is a whole connecting the dots situation that I, I'm not even gonna because this goes into China. I mean, yo, there's so many different players. And I'm trying to keep this kind of organized. Yes. Yes. Before the PPP loans. This book was written in 2018. It's published in 2018. Published in 2018, okay? <laughs> By Patrick M. Wood. So, here's the thing. People talk about... I love y'all. People talk about how Biden and his connection to China, right? And we know that there's some shady shit going on in there and with Bo Biden, not Bo Biden, excuse me, not Bo. What's the motherfucker's name that smokes the drugs? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, right? And his connection to China, there's some shady dealings in there giving Chinese access to his father, right? Over the years. All kind of stuff. But what we do not hear about is Mitch McConnell's connection to China. Okay? Okay. This is from page 74. Building Networks of Cities, Chapter 6, okay? Page 74 at the bottom of the page. Today, China is a fully engineered and technocratic, technocrat-run society that continues to expand its infrastructure in order to achieve economic and trade domination. This is what One Belt, One Road is all about, perfecting the supply chain of goods and services between China and Europe, okay? Always talking about supply chain. We're hearing a lot about the supply chain now, right? Because that's one thing that technocracy is about. It's about controlling the supply chain. To sell the effort, China has become the top supporter of the UN's 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. When Chinese President Xi Jinping, Jinping addressed the Belt and Road Forum in May 2017, he stated, quote, We should pursue the new vision of green development and a way of life and work that is green, low carbon, circular, and sustainable. Efforts should be made to strengthen cooperation in ecological and environmental protection and build a sound ecosystem so as to realize the goals set by the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. We will set up a big data service platform on ecological and environmental protection. We propose the establishment of an international coalition for green development on the Belt and Road, and we will provide support to related countries in adapting to climate change, end quote. Okay, that's what Xi Jinping said. 
Ooh. Okay. <laughs> I see you, brother sword. Connecting the dots on the above. This is page 75 now. Connecting the dots on the above, we find that. Now, this is the part I want y'all to listen to, okay, ladies and gentlemen? All right? Page 75. Connecting the dots on the above, we find that Elaine Chow is Secretary of Transportation in charge of developing U.S. infrastructure. Elaine Chow, that's C-H-A-O. All right? Her father is heavily involved in global infrastructure as a head of a major shipping company, Foremost Group, and has close ties with the Chinese government and its top leadership, all of whom are steeped in technocracy. Her younger sister, Angela, is a director of the state-owned Bank of China, the fourth largest bank in the world and senior financier to China's One Belt, One Road Infrastructure Initiative. There's also one other small problem. Are y'all listening? Elaine Chow is married to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, which means she has a direct conduit into the legislative apparatus of Congress. That's Mitch McConnell's wife, son. <laughs> You know, in 2018, this was shocking. In 2022, this shit is damning. How much of this technocratic <laughs> infrastructure is embedded into the United States right now? This sneaky motherfucker Mitch has just been slithering around in the background the whole time. Allowing China to inject the infrastructure. I mean, come on. Listen, and Chinese, no disrespect to the Chinese, but they will play the long game, okay? They will play the, uh, I'll marry you and make a baby with you and compromise your ass game, okay? Who knows how Mitch McConnell's been compromised? Who knows what kind of kinky, freaky shit that Mitch is into? Listen, clearly, we've got all these Epstein-type motherfuckers running around here. Politicians being compromised by, by the Epsteins, you know? You think Chinese not playing that game, too? You think Chinese haven't compromised Mitch McConnell? You know? Look, I, I'm willing to bet if you just looked into that dude just a little bit, you would find some shit, some unsavory, some unsavory information about your boy Mitch. But I'll continue. Okay, so I'm going to read that sentence again. Page 75, bottom of page 75. There's also one other small problem. Elaine Chow is married to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, which means she has a direct conduit into the legislative apparatus of Congress. Oof. Yeah, no, nah, I don't think Mitch is straight at all. He don't even look like a straight male. Thank you, Dale G. He don't even look like a straight male. And, you know, just different strokes for motherfuckers, but I think he's got different strokes altogether. <laughs> But 
Besides her connections to China, Secretary Cho has other P3 allies to finance infrastructure projects. P3, that's the PPP. The World Bank has widely promoted P3s to the world in spite of many calling it a failed model. Um, quote, I'm not sure who this quote is. Okay, here we go. Quote, this week... <laughs> right, right, right. That's exactly what he looks like. <laughs> Quote, this week, executive directors of the World Bank were handed a letter signed by more than 80 civil society organizations and trade unions from around the world, urging a change in the bank's approach to public-private partnerships. This action during the IMF and World Bank Group spring meetings should not have come as a surprise. It is part of a global campaign on PPPs launched last October with the support of more than 150 organizations that are exacerbated by the lack of action on this critical issue. The campaign manifesto outlines CSO's alarm at the increasing promotion of PPPs to deliver infrastructure projects and public public services around the world and in particular the world bank's role in energetically promoting these contracts this is from maria Morero, romero public private partnerships don't work devex 19 april 2018 okay this from 2018 again the campaign manifesto outlines CSO's al alarm at the increasing promotion of PPPs to deliver infrastructure projects and public services around the world. And in particular, the World Bank's role in energ energetically promoting these contracts. If you got a PPP loan, that's the World Bank. Folks. The fuck is going on here? What's going on? The the what is it? What is it? What did John say the other day? The U.S. printed forty percent of the money that it's ever printed in the last year. If I'm wrong about that statistic, somebody please tell me. It's heavy fuckery afoot, ladies and gentlemen. They're trying to slam us. Um, okay. This is page 77 now. Yeah, they call it blended finance. On page 76. Quote. Public-private partnerships, which are controversial PPPs, which are a controversial source of funding for government projects, are back at the current World Bank IMF meetings in Washington under a new name, Blended Finance. Ooh, 2018, folks. Proponents say that blended finance is a way to fund the $2.5 trillion a year needed to support 
quote, support progress towards the sustainable development goals set forth by the United Nations, end quote. That's Forbes, blend, Forbes magazine, blended finance, lipstick on the public private partnership pig by Tom Gronfeld, April 20th, 2018. People have been sounding the alarm about the PPP before they were being given to That shit just hit me. That shit just hit me in the side of the head, y'all. People were ringing the alarm about PPP loans before they were ever made accessible to the average man and woman in this country. What else did they do that with? What else did they do that with? The fucking subprime mortgages. <laughs> oh, shit. Didn't they? Didn't they do that with the subprime mortgages that they say led to the financial collapse? Yes, they might have contributed to the financial collapse, but you know what else contributed to the financial collapse? The fucking... The, the money laundering of $43 trillion through semi-legitimate financial institutions <laughs> leading up to the financial collapse. That for sure is what did it. But then they blamed it on people getting bad mortgages and bad loans that they probably shouldn't have been able to uh, receive in the first place. You see this shit? You see this? This is, see, this is why I love y'all, man. Because sometimes you just got to talk things out to put it together. These PPPs have been used for, in, historically used for infrastructure. And then they made them available to regular people. And somehow folks like you and me were able to pull million dollar PPP loans. Listen, motherfucker, you pull a million dollar PPP, you should probably leave the country. <laughs> but no P they went and fucked it off and then get got a letter saying oh by the way we want our money back and now your boy Jim Crow Joe is ready to make some kind of task force to come and track down that money it's a setup <laughs> yeah Yeah, thank you, Mike. You see, Mike? You see, and Mike said, imagine that's what this pandemic was all about all along. Well, that might be what it was about. And so that's what, again, Edward Dowd, D-O-W-D, that's what Catherine Austin Fitz, and that's what Leslie Manukin are suggesting, that this is what the pandemic was about in the first place. One Oh, another part of that, Catherine Austin Fitz says that in order to bring in this new transaction system and to bring in universal basic income, you have to destroy small businesses, right? So because small business is two, two thirds of the employers in this country are small business, okay? Two thirds, small business 
basically uh, supports this whole economy in this country. So you can't you can't collapse the economy or you can't force people or coerce them onto universal basic income if you have the small businesses that are supporting them and making a way. Right. So what did they do? They locked down this country. Take a city like New York City, because that's where I'm at. And to see the city locked down and the businesses closed up. Yeah. See, right. And you see what you said. So see, perfect example. Mike said this pandemic has destroyed small business. I would argue that the policies surrounding this pandemic has destroyed small businesses. And that's how we need to think about this right here. It's not the pandemic. Pandemic didn't do shit. Because the pandemic is not, it's a pandemic, okay? That's what Nuremberg 2.0 is telling us. That it's a pandemic, not a pandemic, okay? It's a pandemic because apparently there was a plan. How the fuck this dude's talking about PPPs in 2018 and all of a sudden they were made available to regular people in 2020 okay so so the businesses that were shut down Catherine Austin Fitz so what do we have in 2020, right? We had the lockdown and then we had the so-called the Black Lives Matter protests, right? Protests, some riots. And when you look at the riots, you saw a lot of Antifa motherfuckers. I think they thought like this whole collapse and everything was really going to pop off in 2020. If you remember the fireworks. Now, I'm in, again, I'm in New York City. I remember the fireworks. Every fucking night, starting at about 9 p.m. until 3, 4 a.m., every fucking night, from about May until, like, July, you would have these fireworks. And so I'm telling you, there was times where I would rocked out of my sleep, okay? Because it wasn't just fireworks. You heard explosions, fucking explosions. Some of them, like, you know, the fireworks, you would hear them and you'd kind of get used to them. Some shit sounded like straight dynamite blowing up. Okay? And, you know, talking to people about it, people who don't really necessarily think like us, but knew something was fishy. Yo, then that's the thing, Susie, because they, yo, the, the fireworks... They, um, I had seen pictures of people who look like NYPD or they, you know, they look like they kind of, if you're from New York, you know how an undercover cop looks, you know, an undercover NYPD or maybe FDNY. They look like that. They look like those types of folks who were... (sighs) Driving in with U-Haul trucks full of fucking fireworks. Now, there's a pandemic going on. And this is new to all of us, right? Early days of the pandemic. But you and nobody. So nobody's working. Nobody apparently has money. We're getting unemployment. But somehow, 
it's a priority to have a U-Haul truck full of fireworks on any given occasion. And my and this is going on like all fucking night for months. And then it just stopped. You would hear a little bit, a little after July 4th, but it pretty much just stopped as abruptly as it began. As far as we know, these weren't connected to the Black Lives Matters protests, right? Oh, Dale G says they were definitely in the tunnels blowing stuff up. I didn't hear about that. I believe it. Yeah, Sword says it's the Trilateral Commission. They're the key players. The Club of Rome, Aspen Institute, the Atlantic Institute, the Brookings Institute, and the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Major players. So, (sighs) there are so many different players. Oh, oh yeah, that's the same time they brought in the big hospital ship that they never used. They never used the hospital ship. So what was that really about? For all we know, they could have brought motherfuckers in on the hospital ship. (laughs) You know? It was about a month or two ago. I was looking out over... What river was it? I'm not sure what river it was. Might have been the Hudson. I was in Brooklyn. I was in whatever's between Staten Island and Brooklyn. I was in Staten Island at the time, looking out over the water. There was a big ass, and now we're having a supply chain shit going on, right? But there was a big ass evergreen ship out there with a whole bunch of containers on it. But it was just stopped. And there was a boat next to it. And I was just wondering. I was like, the the thousands and thousands of, of containers on it. Like, what the fuck are in those containers right now? And, and the ship wasn't going to port. And I don't recall seeing any other container ships anywhere. It was just a lone container ship there, full. Waiting to go somewhere. Who knows? The shady shit that could have been on that hospital ship. I guess that's all I'm saying. The one that you're talking about, Dale. That that uh, that hospital ship that they brought to port here. These different organizations that sword just just laid out for us right there. It's like overlapping leadership. Something that people should look up. If you want to know or have a better idea of who is kind of running the show. Yes, those are different groups that we should all be aware of. There's a term, the interlocking directorates of the major multinational corporations. Write that down. The interlocking directorate. And I wonder if there is a list. Directorates. Interlocking directorates, Susie. Because the inter- interlocking directorates, hold on, because I thought I pinned this comment before. 
the fuck? All right. Just to make sure for anybody that's coming on, you know, because you might get bounced off of here. I'm just going to spell that out for you. Interlocking directorates. That's something that y'all can look up. I just put it in the chat there on IG. The interlocking directorates of the major multinational corporations. Now, the thing with the interlocking directorates, to, to give people a better idea. Um, oh, here we go. What's this? Bailey Cavalier? I don't even know what this is. Because, so basically, you have a corporation, and not just any corporation, but, you know, like, the top hundred corporations in the world, in their board of directors, right? But you might have someone who is on the board of all a hundred of the top, the top 100 economies in the world or the top 200 economies, I think like 50% of them are corporations. The economies are greater and, and more and wealthier than nation states. Okay? Just kind of put things into perspective for people. You have corporations that wield more economic power than some countries on earth. The interlocking directorates. So when you talk about the top corporations now, and you have people on the board of directors who are on the boards of many of these, 100 of them, let's say, 150. Like, how is that even a thing? How's that even a thing? This is so, you know, if you want to kind of focus your attention on certain people or certain institutions, this is a way to kind of pinpoint that focus. Right, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, BP, you know, uh, all the different oil industries. So, I found this article. I'm not exactly sure what this is. But I think this is a gem right here. It's called, it's a Bailey Cav Cavalieri. Cavalieri. It's called Interlocking Directorates. A Sleeping Bear Awakens. I think this is one of those articles that should be downloaded and saved just in case. You know? For nearly 100 years, the U.S. antitrust laws have prohibited a person from serving as a director or officer of two or more large companies which compete. Section 8 of the Clayton Act states... No person shall at the same time serve as a director or officer in any two corporations other than banks, banking associations, and trust companies that are A, engaged in whole or, or, or in part in commerce, and B, 
by virtue of their business and location of operation competitors so that the elimination of competition by agreement between them would constitute a violation of any of the antitrust laws. If each of the corporations has capital, surplus, and undivided profits aggregating more than $25,841,000 as adjusted annually based upon the U.S.'s gross national product. The statute does not apply if the competitive sales of either of the competing companies are less than $2,584,100 as adjusted annually or 2% of that company's total sales or if the competitive sales of each of the competing companies are less than 4% of that company's total sales. Although Section 8 of the Clayton Act is frequently described as prohibiting quote-unquote interlocking directorates, the statute actually applies to a person serving as either a director or officer in certain competing companies. Because this type of dual service can foster the improper disclosure of confidential information or other anti-competitive practices, which which are difficult to detect, the statute imposes an absolute and prophylactic prohibition on such dual services regardless whether any anti-competitive conduct in fact in fact occurs other similar prohibitions against interlocking directorates may apply to companies which are not otherwise subject to this federal statute for example the federal power act prohibits individuals from being an officer or director or more of more than one public utility or from holding such a position with a public utility and a company that may underwrite or market public utility securities absent prior authorization from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Since public utilities do not technically compete, the Clayton Act prohibition for interlocking directorates does not apply to public utilities. However, because the same concerns underlying the Clayton Act provision equally exist with respect to persons serving as directors or officers of multiple public utilities, the Federal Power Act imposes a similar ban on interlocking directorates. Likewise, some states have similar statutory prohibitions which would apply to smaller companies that do not meet the minimum monetary thresholds contained in the federal statute. This is a this is a you know nine page article. I'm not gonna read it all here. Yeah, yeah, Chef, your boy D. That's right. For for regular people who are busting their ass out here, getting taxed out the ass. The that you know you don't pay your taxes, and then they're gonna send the the fucking um, IRS task force to kick down some doors. But the people with the real money. Able to put their money to tax havens and whatnot. So, thank you. Again, one thing Catherine Austin Fitz talks about in Planet Lockdown was, thank you, coming back to the protest, the so-called Black Lives Matter protests of 2020, where, so you have the businesses that are shut down because of the pandemic, allegedly, but it's because of the pandemic policies, And now you have the Black Lives Matter protest popping off. And of course, there's Antifa motherfuckers in there with them. So they're rioting and burning and looting. The riots and the burning and looting that was occurring was happening to mostly small businesses. 
a lot of those black businesses, a lot of those being black businesses, right? The burning and the looting. But when she did, she did her analysis with her team, they looked at the, the Federal Reserves all around the country. They came up with like 37 Federal Reserve banks in the United States. And the cities that the riots were occurring, 30, I think 34 of the 37 had Federal Reserve banks. And then when they took the microscope, looked a little closer, those riots occurred in very close to opportunity zones. And the way that she describes opportunity zones, that's a term that you can look up, opportunity zone, because you'll find a lot of literature out there on them. But she basically described opportunity zones as tax havens for the, um, the tech, for the tech companies. <laughs> for the tech, tech. What did she say? Tax havens for the tech companies so that when they sold stocks or whatever, stole their business, they didn't have to pay capital gains tax. Okay? So look now at Google purchasing these big complexes, Amazon purchasing these big complexes, right? Big chunks of real estate in certain types of neighborhood where they say they're going to bring economic development and jobs and all that shit. That's a way for them to dump their money. It's just legal money laundering. That's all it is. It's, It's legal money laundering. And it's made, um, it's uh, legalized because these people have their cronies in the government. They, 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 because <laughs> now this goes into how the government actually works. 2.22 a.m. right now on May 22nd, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to On The Wake Up Radio. I know we're going worldwide right now. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. That whole hunting homeless people. That's that's some next shit. Um, Sward is saying that they're doing that. Um, Antifa's doing that. I believe it. Antifa, you got to watch those motherfuckers, man. Antifa, I remember when those uh, so-called protests were going on in 2020. You saw the Antifa's coming out. I saw them personally, you know, going to wherever they were going. They were ready for some shit. But that's neither here nor there. We don't have to talk about Antifa too much. You know they're dirty. I know they're dirty. Just watch out for those folks. Yeah. So. So how the government actually works, and this is like I said, this is called plight of the tyrant part two, because we're just we're going all the way in on these people. Right. So, you know, we're touching gingerly touching on the interlocking directorates. Right. And then we mentioned the opportunity zones. Okay, so the people who make these um, these laws and, and create these opportunity zones are in bed 
with the politicians or they are the people who make sure that when certain bills are introduced that the politicians vote on them, right? So I think it was last week I mentioned uh, this one politician who he was talking about these committees, these committees, when you're an elected official and then you go into a committee, I believe to be a chairman of the committee, to be a chairman of the committee, it's not just to be in the committee, but to be a chairman or a head of the committee, you got to pay. You got to pay at the least a million dollars. And you got to ask, where is a politician going to get a million dollars to be the chairman of a committee? That's where the special interest groups come in. They say, oh, listen, listen we'll, sponsor, we'll sponsor your chairmanship, but you got to do something for us. And if you say no, okay, we'll find someone else to do it. And so the, the committees where, you know, shit really goes down in this country, where they really create the policies that guide us, that guide this country, those are bought and paid for by corporate interests. This is what we call fascism. This is like textbook fascism. And I know I say it all the time. We say it all the time on this show and on this network. Fascism isn't, you know, people kicking in doors with jackboots and concentration camps. That's not fascism. Fascism is simply corporatism. Plain and simple. When corporatism and government meet and start doing this with each other. That's fascism. If you're listening on the radio, then you didn't just see the whole visual. It's it's getting late, folks. So, you know, the later it gets, the filter just comes off. That's what fascism is. Everybody getting their rocks off at the taxpayer's expense. You like that sword? Right, it wouldn't be like that, though. It'd be like that, right? <coughs> <laughs> that's what fascism is I know my neighbors probably think I'm crazy they're like this nigga's lost his mind <laughs> if anyone's watching me right now <laughs> that boy need Jesus you gonna be looking at me crazy in the elevator tomorrow <laughs> But yeah, that's what fascism is. It's when corporations and the government meet and fornicate with each other. You know, the the lobbyists, they tenderly look at the corporate look at the look at the politician in their eyes as they lay them down on a bed of money and satin and kiss on their neck and court them with chocolates and champagne. 
and proceed to blow their back out for that special interest. This right here, this is where I, I first learned about a lot of this stuff. Craig B. Hewlett. This book is The Hydra of Carnage. This is an excellent, excellent book right here. If you want it, you got to order it from Craig B. Hewlett. I think it's uh, craigbhewlett.com. I'd read you an excerpt from this book. But this book simply doesn't have excerpts, okay? It's got fuck every page is a dissertation. <laughs> every page. It, you can't just, I mean, I'm trying to, like, this shit is so comprehensive. After you read something like this, the, there's no doubting where we're at. Oh, yeah, d- d- cigars and semen dresses all day, Cindy. Like, shit is disgusting. <laughs> Whole lot of that. <laughs> On Lolita Expresses. Just imagine the stuff we don't know about these people. Um... You know, this this Craig B. Hewlett, H-U-L-E-T. Just, just check him out, folks. See, I'm trying to find something that I can just pull from this book just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Um. Okay. This I don't even know. Because I could say some shit, but then it it's got it's got no context. From this book, this is, what this is why you just gotta read the book. The the things that I went so when I talk about geopolitics, a lot of my understanding comes from Craig B. Hewlett, you know, because he makes you go and read certain things, and you go and do the homework that he tells you, and then the picture just starts to develop in front of your face, and you see like, oh shit, peace, big bro, Fedco. So, let me see. What is this? Okay, here's a quote. Let me see if we could pull anything from this, right? Quote, Iran, Zaire, Guatemala, Chile, Indonesia, Greece, Panama, Australia, Haiti. We're real good at toppling regimes. But just collecting your basic data about who's up to what in the U.S. and whatnot, that's not our strong suit. If the U.S. needed to swoop in and take out Colombia's current government, man, we could have that done by the weekend. End quote. Central Intelligence Agency Director George Tenet, Langley, Virginia. This is on page 173 of The Hydra of Carnage. The chapter is Oil and Sovereignty. Page 173. In the recent fall issue of The National Interest, author Owen Harries suggests now that America should heed the same warning, which it clearly has not in retrospect as above, regarding America's preoccupation with the business of the world, economics, policing, policing every corner, exercising a level of hegemony the world has never seen, cultural and other nations' governance. Harry stated this. 
What we have seen has been a pattern of indiscriminate and irresolute but unrelenting busyness of interfering and lecturing of a promiscuous though largely ineffectual use of force and of sanction. It is a pattern of behavior that is alienating an increasing number of states and that, if persisted in, will ultimately be dangerous for the United States. Ooh, the Anglosphere illusion. Page 136. It is the weak state that will find cooperation with other states like itself, find common cause with terrorist groups and guerrilla armies from everywhere, from from everywhere, from anywhere. It is the process which the United States has ignored where not even Great Britain in their heyday did. Harry's noted that if America, as the newest effort at Anglophile hegemony, does not pay heed to these warnings for quote-unquote prudence and restraint, Quote, not faith in American exceptionalism, end quote, saying that it is those, quote, qualities and also those qualities that will, in the long run, enable the United States to avoid the usual fate of assertive hegemons, end quote. Weak states do not cause disorder, as Mr. Bush has suggested. This is the so-called reason to rid Afghanistan of the Taliban. Other commercial objectives aside... Here is how the here here is how this pertains to the Caspian region presently in consideration. Now I'm reading this because he mentioned the Caspian Sea, and I know it, it may not if you don't if you're unfamiliar kind of with with geopolitics it may not completely make sense. But I just want you to bear with me right here because this all wraps in to the policies because you, you talk about this war. The so-called war with Russia right now, but as much as they talk about the war with Russia, you don't ever hear anyone talking about the Caspian Sea, which is right there. Uh, a war almost popped off between Azerbaijan and Armenia that really could have led to World War Three, but nobody, the, the media, the U.S. media didn't really play that shit up because it's too comprehensive. Uh, Americans. They, you know, we're kind of on some dumbed down shit. So you start naming countries that we never heard about. And it's going to confuse a lot of Americans. I'm not saying that to be insulting. That's just what it is. But just know the Caspian Sea region is a major hub. They call I think they call that the gateway to the Caucasus or something like that. OK, that shit that went down between Azerbaijan and Armenia really could have turned into something. It still could really turn into something. But if the production and the flow of oil is stifled in this region, then there will definitely be some shit. That's why I'm reading this section of this book, because it all ties into the corporate interest, ties into the Operation Gladio. It types into having control over that region with their little private fucking fascist armies. Okay, like all that stuff. So, again, page 174, the Hydra of Carnage. Here is how this pertains to the Caspian region presently in consideration. Weak states do not actually, quote unquote, cause disorder, violence and war. Rather, they are vulnerable to the actors that cause such things. We find two types of weak states in Central Asia and the Caucasus. The first is the struggling democracy or those states that tried to follow the democracy path in the last years of Perestroika and immediately after the collapse of the Soviet Union. They are, ooh. Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan. 
and all of these causes but Kyrgyzstan. The Russians took advantage of the open political process there to create chaos, applying a divided rule strategy, strategy to retain Moscow's influence. Kyrgyzstan has been an exception, probably because Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan did not want a civil war there and nipped the KGB's mischief in the bud in the Fergana disorders in 1990. The second type of weak state includes the dictatorships Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. In these cases, local Communist Party leaders changed their labels, became nationalists, kept control, and therefore were able to keep the Russians from stirring up conflicts which they could then pretend to manage as so-called quote-unquote peacekeeping endeavors. The pattern in Tajikistan, Georgia, and for a time in Azerbaijan. Aliyev has moved Azerbaijan toward this type, just as Akayev has done in Kyrgyzstan. It allows them to keep the Russians out, but it brings other problems. Ibid, Odom's article above. So, you know, this thing, like I said, it's extremely comprehensive, the stuff that Craig B. Hewlett talks about. But if you could wrap your mind around his content, then you'll have a better idea of what we're facing with this, with uh, fascism and these corporate interests. You know, he, he wrote another book, Corporatism and Empire, A Philosophy of Fascism, Postmodernity's Problematic. Another one by Craig B. Hewlett, okay? This, uh, same thing, it's extremely comprehensive. It's, this book, I mean, there's no small sections. There's no excerpts without context. Like everything you're going to pull from this, you got to have the context to even wrap your mind around it. That's why it's, it's real difficult for me to uh, just pull something from his material. That's why I just suggest people just get it. You know, just, just go and just buy his books. And this is one of this is his newer book. Highly recommended because that is from Craig B. Hewlett that I learned about the interlocking directorates that I learned about what he calls the global regime of economic interdependence. That's the moral of the story. The global regime of economic interdependence. These are the people who what we call the new world order. It's better known as the global regime of economic interdependence. And these are the people who go back and forth between the, okay, let me see if I can pull it up for you. Because I don't know that... I don't know if these this is a, a term that you can easily find online. Huh. But it's a term that has been thrown around over the years. But basically, these are the people who jump back and forth between the government and the private sector and then back to government in maybe a different position. These are the people who 
you know, it may be a secretary in some freshman senator's cabinet, but who's actually running the shots, calling the shots, excuse me. And this goes to really dark places, too, because if you're familiar with, you know, we talk about Operation Gladio all the time on here. Someone, one of the names, let me see. So. In the beginning of this century, let's go back further. Throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, you had a bunch of gangsters who were involved in the drug trade, the arms trade, toppling governments. They were working for the global regime of economic interdependence as gangsters, hired guns. The Operation Gladio folks. And then in the beginning of the century, these gangsters got themselves in the position to ultimately run the largest corporation slash country in the world, the most powerful, the United States. In this country, they were known as neocons or neoconservatives. So that was the George Bush Juniors. He was, you know, the puppet, the figurehead. Then you had the Dick Cheney's, the real gangster. You had the Richard Armitage's, real gangsters. You had the Donald Rumsfeld's, real gangsters. You had the John Bolton's, okay? You had the, 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 is it Richard Pearl? I think it's Richard Pearl. Gangsters. You had the Paul Wolfowitzes, gangsters. Okay? Condoleezza Rice's, real gangsters. You even had the Hillary Clintons, who was also um, a neocon. Real gangsters. Okay? The Clinton crime family goes back to, you know, Mena, Arkansas. They were flying in cocaine back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, we, we know about them. Hey, peace, peace. How you doing? We know about the, the Clinton Clinton crime family, right? All they, they were doing down in Mena, Arkansas. And I mean the Clinton hit list, all the bodies under the Clintons, right? We know about all that. But then we know about the, the Bush crime family. In their shit, right? Someone like Richard Armitage, he was, from what I understand, his name comes up a lot. His name comes up a lot when it comes to Operation Gladio. And Operation Gladio was the drug trade, the arms trade, arming fascists from all the way back the late 1940s. So it's not a surprise even now that you hear about the U.S. arming fascists in 
Ukraine because this has been the policy and the U.S. was has been arming them for a long time. The Ukrainian fascists. So it didn't just start. But Richard Armitage is one of those names that comes up with all this. Right. So Richard Armitage trying to see who he was under George Bush Jr. Because I believe he was like the chief of staff for Condoleezza Rice. Something along those lines. Let's just see. Ooh. You see? I'm not even going to go into all that. Just want the Bush administration. So, okay. This is from Wikipedia, mind you. But we're going to rock with it. Under the Bush administration, Bush won. In 1998, Armitage signed a letter to President Bill Clinton urging Clinton to target the removal of Saddam Hussein's regime from power in Iraq. It stated that Saddam's masses, massive violations of the ceasefire that had ended the first Gulf War has caused erosion of the Gulf War coalition's containment policy. It also raised the possibility that Iraq emboldened by Western inaction, might redevelop weapons of mass destruction. So he was singing that song back in 1998. And then when 9-11 happened, all of a sudden, we're hearing about Saddam and his weapons of mass destruction, which he didn't actually have. Okay. During the 2000 presidential election campaign, he served as a foreign policy advisor to George W. Bush as part of a group led by Condoleezza Rice that called itself the Vulcans. That sounds like some scary shit right there. The United States Senate confirmed him as Deputy Secretary of State on March 23, 2001. He was sworn in three days later. A close associate of Secretary of State Colin Powell. Armitage was regarded along with Powell as a moderate within the presidential administration of George W. Bush. He's a moderate. It's so funny how they could call a gangster like Armitage moderate. See, this is why this is like... <laughs> I don't know if you would necessarily consider someone like him a moderate, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> so, you see, it said he came in as. Deputy. Secretary of State, Deputy Secretary of State, so that's under Colin Powell, but Deputy nothing, this dude is, this dude's a boss, okay, so my whole point in saying that now, again, coming to the global regime of economic interdependence, you'll have people who are put in lower positions, but they're not really in lower positions, they're just out of the spotlight, okay, you think he still wasn't doing his dirty trick stuff involved in guns and drugs and all that? Look, under George Bush Jr., after Afghanistan was invaded, opium production went from almost zero to, you know, thousand percent more opium production up until this very day. Thousands of percent more exponential opium production up until this very day. You know, we always hear it was about oil and a pipeline, but 
It's never just about one thing. Go back to the Hydra of Carnage. It's never just about one thing, right? Look at the map, folks. Okay? Again, I learned this from Craig B. Hewlett, right? So where are we at? Where's Afghanistan? You see that? You see Afghanistan right there? There's a problem with that picture. You see this pipeline? So this right here, that, that red line, those two lines going through, those are pipelines. The red line is the Pakistani proposed gas pipeline. And the green one is... I'm not sure which one that is. The light green one. Oh, the Pakistani proposed. Okay, so those are two at the time of this map. Those are two proposed pipelines, okay? There you go. Right through there. Those are two proposed pipelines going straight through Afghanistan. <clears throat> and you need people like Armitage, who that's his sphere of influence. The Caspian Sea's right there. Okay? Afghanistan there, Caspian Sea is there, look at this, Iran, ain't no pipelines running through Iran, not the ones they want, Iran has the one, what's this, possible Iran oil pipeline route going to the Caspian Sea, imagine they could get that going from the Caspian Sea, excuse me, to the Persian Gulf, okay, Iran is standing in the way of that. Iran is a major player right there. These are the type of things that they think about. Okay? But if you look at the Caspian Sea, there are so many oil platforms. Everybody's in there. Luke Oil, um, BP, Shell, Exxon, Mobil, everybody, and all kind of ones that I never even heard about. All in there. Look at all those pipelines that run through there. Then, <clears throat> excuse me. Look at Azerbaijan right there. Okay. Gateway to the Caucasus. This right here, the major player in that area. So, <clears throat> I'm just, I, I found this list again on Craig B. Hewlett's website. Just to some names, just to some names to consider, right? To kind of have an idea of what I'm talking about when I say the global regime of economic interdependence. Same thing as the, as the interlocking directorates. So we talked about the interlocking directorates, right? These are the people who, who they sit on the board as boards of directors in, you know, dozens, maybe a hundred different of the major corporations that run the economy in the world, all right? We'll put some faces and some names to these people, right? So, this list, I'm not sure what year this list is from, but this is just to give people an idea. So, this is the big oil list, right? <clears throat> so, you have, thank you, thank you. You have the federal government, you have the names of the people, and then big oil, right? So, these are, the, these are individuals who worked work 
or worked for the federal government and also had a connection to big oil. Andrew Zausner, okay, Department of Energy under Carter. Andrew Zausner, Director of Government Relations for Pennzoil. Staff, U.S. Representative Lindrew. Kevin Avery, Director of Federal Government Affairs for Marathon. Stas, Staff, U.S. Representative Lindrow. Jason Shend, Washington Rep, API. Staff, Senator Rockefeller, D. and Biden, D. William Icord, VP International Government Affairs for ConocoPhillips. So this guy was a vice president at ConocoPhillips, but he was staff for Senator Rockefeller and for Biden. Okay? Um, staff under Senator Durbin and Biden. James E. Williams, but he was the products, products issues manager at API. Okay? Um, staff. Representative Kilpatrick and Boren, Wendy Kirchhoff, Director of Federal Resources, IPAA. Okay, here's one. Rachel Miller, she was staff under Senator Feinstein, but she was the Director of Federal Affairs for BP America. Okay, you kind of see where this is going, folks. This is just big oil, and this last list, this is, I'm sure, the short list. Emily Olson, she was a lobbyist for BP America. She was also staff for Representative Lipsinki and Blitz, Blipsink, Blipsink, I can't pronounce that shit. Blipinski. Okay. So these people, you see a lot of times they're just staff, staff economist, DA secretaries. Secretary, Department of Energy under Clinton. Oh, DA Secretary and Department of Energy under Clinton. Teresa Fariello. She was the VP Government Relations ExxonMobil. Okay. So these are people who are, you know, have serious positions in these big oil industries, but they're the staff in some senator or some congressperson's cabinet. Okay. And there's one for Comcast, <clears throat> GE, Goldman Sachs. Okay, Goldman Sachs. Now, this is a fun one, okay? Goldman Sachs. Treasury Secretary under Clinton is Robert Rubin, and he was the COCOO and co-chairman of Goldman Sachs. U.S. Senator John Corzine, CEO of Goldman Sachs. Treasury Treasury Secretary under Bush, Henry Paulson, CEO of Goldman Sachs. Chief of Staff under Obama. Chief of Staff under Obama. Rahm Emanuel, contract employee for Goldman Sachs. Under Secretary of State for Obama, Robert Hormatz, Vice Chairman, GS. GS, what's that? GS International of Goldman Sachs, okay? Chairman, FIAB, under Obama, Stephen Friedman. He was the co-COO, chief operations officer, and chairman of Goldman Sachs. Deputy director, NEC under Obama, Diana Farrell, 
financial analyst for Goldman Sachs. Fucking all these people, you understand? This is how it works, ladies and gentlemen. So when we come down, now step back, right? Because I'm not going to go through this whole list. Step back now. And so we're talking about this fucking pandemic, right? You have people like these who are just running around. So our politicians have been compromised. And when the shot came out, what they have to do? They had to compromise more people. They had to financially threaten people, threaten the average person with financial castration. And then they got the judges. They got the judges and the lawyers. They say, hey, you can't come back to work if you don't get the shot. Right? So what happens now? Now you have all these people who are scared about losing their jobs if they don't get the shot. They don't even have to believe in it. But if you're talking about getting justice... How are you going to appeal to a judge if that judge got the shot? Just looking at you like, well, if I got it, then you have to get it. That's what we're living in right now, folks. This is Plight of the Tyrant, part two. So the information I'm giving you right now, because honestly, I I can't I don't know what to do with all this information. Honestly, I'm not even going to act like I do know, because I just feel like a lot of people got to go to prison if they don't have to go to prison and other things have to happen to them. But definitely prison, at least at the very least. And they should be put on trial. And this is just for the U.S. This is not even talking about for the rest of the world, but these people are global. That's why Craig B. Hewlett's book is called The Hydra of Carnage, because you chop off one head and another one pops back up. Now, if you want to use that same metaphor, excuse me, what did stop the Hydra was when old boy showed it Medusa's head, and that froze the Hydra, turned it to stone. Right? You had to chop off Medusa's head and dangle it in front of the Hydra. You know, maybe that's something that could work with this. Look, these people have full control over the economy and they will drive it into the ground. They will crash it before they let us get a hold of it and really regain our sovereignty. I think there's ways around it. So this is something that Celeste Solemn, she is a FEMA whistleblower. That's another A piece. How you doing, Submissy girl? Celeste Solemn. Her last name is spelled S-O-L-U-M. Celeste Solemn. Y'all should check her out. She's a DHS whistleblower. And her information, really comprehensive. Check her out for sure. S-O-L-U-M, Celeste Solemn. One thing that she said really resonated with me. And this is important for all of us. She said, I'm paraphrasing, but she said to remain human. If you have a gift that you give to the world, 
then continue to give that gift. If you can sing really well, then sing your ass off. If you can draw, you can paint, then you got to draw and paint and inspire people. If you're a poet, then do your poetry, you know? If you're great at giving hugs, then give great hugs. If you can make people laugh, then make people laugh. But don't, don't let them take away our humanity. The, the, it's almost like, and this is what I'm saying, it's almost like the act of being human is an act of rebellion right now. Because, oh, you know, these people, these global, global regime of economic interdependence, this interlocking directorates, where do we even find these people if we did want to lay holy hands on them? Where would we even find them? These people, I was, Cindy and I were talking earlier, these motherfuckers, when's the last time someone actually saw Fauci? This motherfucker could be on Elysium somewhere, Okay. Just hanging out, rubbing elbows with each other, you know, rubbing assholes with each other, whatever they do in those places. But even if we did want to lay holy hands on them, where would we find them? You know, they're probably locked away in dumps facilities. These people, if something were on its way to strike the earth, it would never let us know. It would never let us know. <laughs> it wouldn't tell us shit. They would all run off together and hide away. If they're not hiding away already. Okay? You got Elon Musk and fucking Jeff Bezos going to outer space. Did Elon go to outer space? <sighs> I don't even give a fuck. Because that nigga's putting up satellites to spy on us. He is, Bill Gates is, putting up satellites in low orbit, constellation satellites. It's like the gall of these motherfuckers. There are certain stars that we see right now in the sky that are actually satellites. Here we go again. Same old shit, dog. Just a different day. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. Yeah. You know, they're putting, they're putting satellites at near-Earth orbit satellites. Or low, excuse me, or low orbit satellites. All right? To watch us, to beam, you know, 5G shit at us. The things that look like stars, like they, they're actually called constellations because they form these strings and rings and all kind of shit in the sky. And I'm sure it's to, to, to fool. I'm sure it's to, to you know, to provide some form of trickery, too, because they could have. When it rains, niggas get wet. <laughs> That's right, homeboy. In my DMX voice. <laughs> Right. When it rains, natives get wet. Um, yeah, I'm sure those 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 satellites are some form of trickery too. the constellation satellites, because they could have easily done them in a way where they didn't quite reflect light so damn well. But now when people are looking up in the sky, not every star that they see is a star. We know that already, but now they're really not stars. Now sometimes it's a constellation of satellites. 
a few months ago, I reported on how some of Elon's satellites were knocked out of the sky. His constellation satellites were knocked out of the sky. Came crashing down to earth in flames of fire. Whatever. There have been believe it was last week or the week before um the uh the food processing plants catching on fire okay yo I'm hearing now 20 plus or 20 something food processing centers have burned down. That shit is suspect. One, two. That's already suspect. But 20 something. Nah. They're trying to starve people right now. They're trying to starve folks out. They Listen. They realize that their time is running short. And they're going to do everything that they can. Like, there's no turning back for them in the end of the day. You know, something I heard someone mention. uh, Something I heard mentioned, which I haven't talked about in a long time, but we were supposed to have that financial jubilee. Back around like 2014, something like that. And they didn't do it. And now we're facing the consequences. We're facing the consequences. But, you know, in some divine way, I'm sure our governments, you know, they'll, they'll face the ultimate consequence. But in the meantime, in between time, Oh, two airplane swords says two airplane crashes on these food factories. That's crazy. But I'm looking at this again as Operation Ring of Fire type stuff. And, you know, I've been talking about Operation Ring of Fire for the last year or so because it popped up on my radar when I started to see, I don't know what it was. I guess it was factory explosions and train derailments and (sighs) Operation Ring of Fire. It's about using these type of scenarios basically to usher in their new world order. And I mean, I I can only imagine that it's been expanded, you know, to now to these food distribution centers. So when I first saw it, it was talking about the factories and the train derailments and the the uh, volcano eruptions, and now we're we're really seeing this start to play out. Really seeing it start to play out, and you know, I I just want to encourage everybody to remain vigilant out here. 
you know, uh, my friend Drea earlier was saying, grow your own food like this. Now is the time. Put some stuff down now. Get some starts. Get some get some plants that are going to uh, go to seed if you can once their uh, time is up. And then give you another another yield for next year. You know? The, the, that's where we're at right now. Because, like I said, I don't have answers. I don't have answers. I have information. I have answers for myself. I wish I could give people information to use. Like, look, as John always says, there's that, the audit. Audit should be instituted. It's just, how do you, fuck? So late, I don't even know what to say. The audit should be instituted. Because... We need to audit these think tanks. We need to audit every dollar that's being spent because we're hemorrhaging right now. And we're in a place right now where there's no turning back for these elites. They're going all the way. They just do a Hail Mary and most people don't even realize it. Most people are over here looking for the ball. Trying to catch, trying to sack the quarterback. This quarterback said, boom. <laughs> Ain't do that shit. People don't even know the quarterback already threw the football. That's where we're at. How long is it going to take you to now turn around, realize that this motherfucker just threw the ball all the way down the field? He's got one receiver. Maybe two receivers running down the field to catch it. But y'all ain't looking at the receivers because you're paying attention to the queue, trying to find him behind that, that, that uh, offensive line. On the wake up, y'all, y'all see the receivers. And we're fast, we can run faster. But how are we going to get there in time? Do we have the tools to tackle that motherfucker or to intercept what was just thrown? That's where we're at right now, folks. The fact that we still have the ability to have this conversation right now in 2022 means they didn't win yet. Because if they won, we wouldn't be able to do this. We'd probably be in fucking FEMA camps. There'd be war in the streets. This is already war in the streets, but more war in the streets. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation. That's how you know they didn't win yet. As long as we can have these conversations, then they haven't won yet. Yet, I mean... Joe Biden made the announcement that he said the food shortages are real. What? That's all you got for us? The food shortages are real? I guess, like I keep saying, I'm glad the fucking toilet paper army didn't catch wind of that food crisis, food shortages real comment. Because then we'd be having a different conversation right now, wouldn't we? Lord, individual. Sing the Ash 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 Ash
How to sign up for OTW2. Type in OTW2 in your browser. It will bring up the home page. Then you click the little man with the plus sign to open up an account. Use your best email, select a username, and then enter a good secure password. Now you're at the home page, click the key to log in to your account using your password with your username. Now search in the search bar for OTW2, which is the page we're going to subscribe to. Click subscribe, click add as friend, as well as click where the videos are. Click on a video to view, like that video, as well as comment. And your exercise is done. Thank you for your support.